0: Turn, if you would, to the 11th chapter of the book of Proverbs. Last week we succeeded in making it through one verse. I don't think we can go any slower. What we spent most of our time last week was talking about the righteousness of God and how our righteousness is given to us as believers because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we discussed the fact that there are two errors that you can fall into on either end of the spectrum. At one end is to read the book of Proverbs and believe that if I can do these things, I will be right with God. If I can accomplish the things described in the book of Proverbs and in the rest of the scripture, I will, by my own work, be right with God. And we know that isn't true because first off, we know we can't do it. And secondly... If today, forward, we did succeed in accomplishing this worthwhile goal, there is nothing to take care of the sin of yesterday and the day before. So one error is to believe that doing this can save you. But the flip side error is thinking that because we are saved by grace, and we are, it does not matter how we live our lives, and that is not true either. God is concerned. God does bless those who honor him in their life and in their lifestyle. The decisions, the choices, the paths that we choose do impact the quality and quantity of our life. And that is what we learn from the book of Proverbs. It is always better to live a life in accordance with God's will. And that's what we're going to talk about as we work through several verses dealing with righteousness and God's provision for us, God's protection for us that we get by following his path. So we will pick up in verse 5. The righteousness of the blameless make a straight way for them, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. The righteousness of the blameless, the righteousness that is the right behavior of those who have the righteousness of Christ in them, the right behavior makes a straight way for them. What do you think that means? Makes a straight way for them. Go ahead. My said, the righteousness of the clears, his path. clears his path. Very good. Smooths his, his way. Makes decisions, very easy. Makes decisions easier. Shows the, way. Shows the way helps us to reach our goals. The picture is this, okay? In an ancient civilization, an ancient city, if they knew the king or some high-level official was coming to visit them, they would go out and they would straighten and clear out the path between where the king was coming from and their particular city, so the path would be smooth so that the king's chariot wouldn't bounce all over the place. It would be straight so there wouldn't be lots of windings and curvings. It would be prepared for the arrival of the king, so the king would have a smooth journey. Okay, that's the picture we have in mind. In the book of Proverbs, the idea of a straight path is always contrasted with that of a crooked path. The path that kind of wanders this way for a little bit and wanders this way for a little bit, never quite reaching the goal that it is after. Never quite getting a smooth path. Now, What does a smooth path life look like? Does that question make any sense? (laughs) (laughs) The observation is she's never seen one. Let's go home. You handle the problems in Christ and in the Father and not in your own strength. Did you hear something? And that's the observation. Did you hear her? A smooth path does not mean that we don't have problems. You remember the observation we talked about it several weeks ago and it it is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Christ has been teaching all of this stuff and he says the person who hears these words puts them into practice is like the builder who builds his house on a firm foundation. When the storms come we could have a show of hands. How many of you in your life have never had a storm? She says, this is earth, right? We all have storms. The promise is not that storms will not come. That is not the the promise that's given to us. The promise is, is that a life that is built on the teachings of the scripture will stand when the storms do come. Now, having said that, I would like to jump back to an observation that Jim made. It makes making choices easier. Sometimes we neglect to remember that following the, after Christ, following the teachings of the scripture actually does make life easier. It doesn't mean that there's no problems. Sometimes we, in our honesty, in our um, desire to acknowledge all the problems that there are in life, sometimes we neglect to remind ourselves that following after Christ does make life easier. How many of you, well, not you, okay, we know it's not you, but how many of you know someone who goes after this thing for a while and they fall off the cliff. And they finally claw their way back up and they go over this way and they fall off this cliff. and Because they fi- they're always after either some get-rich-quick scheme or some way to accomplish their goals without any effort or something to accomplish their desires, their lust without listening to God, and it's like they're constantly falling off one cliff after the other. You might be aware of children who have done this in their lives. You may be one of those people who at some point in your life were constantly chasing after the wrong things. Just look at the book of Proverbs. You know, in chapter what? Chapter 5, we saw chasing after the wayward woman, the adulterous woman. And you know what? Your life is not easier if you run that down that path. In chapter 1, we saw uh, the individuals who said, come with us and we'll go do violence. Life is not easier if you go down that path. So God... God nowhere promises us that life is going to be problem free but following after Christ does eliminate whole groups of problems that encompass so many individuals lives there is value in following after the things of God both value in the world to come and value in this world right now But if you believe that if I still have problems, I'm not receiving anything, you're mistaken. You will have problems, but there are certain problems that you won't have to deal with when you're following the precepts of God. The righteousness of the blameless leads them on a straight path. It is fascinating to me, as we've seen throughout the book of Proverbs, and I say this repeatedly because it is what has continually gone through my mind for the last 30 weeks that I have been preparing and doing these lessons, and that is how counter much of this is to modern day life. Because modern day life says you need to go try, you need to go experience all of these different things. And you know what? New experiences are good. Traveling is good. These things are good. But God has set limits that we cross at our own peril. In the Garden of Eden, the snake told Eve... Did God really say, you know what, the other side of that fruit could bring you all kinds of joy and fun and fulfillment, you will be like God. And Satan, the snake, the serpent has not changed his tone one bit. Did somebody tell you you couldn't do that? Did somebody say you couldn't pursue that? They want to stop you from having a good time in your life. God has set boundaries for our own good. This is not legalism. This is the creator of the universe who created the world to operate a particular way, telling us how to live in that world. That's what those boundaries are. They are for our own good. Why? Because God knows that if you wander that way, you're going to fall off that cliff. And if you wander this way, you're going to fall off that cliff. We live in a world that is full of dangers. We may not believe that at times. We may believe, and I might add, we do see this most prevalently in young people. I can go do anything and it'll all be okay. Whatever it is, it will all be okay. Well, sometimes it's not. Sometimes you do fall off the cliff. Once again, we see this same picture in the Sermon on the Mount. Narrow is the way, and few find it, the path that leads to life. Broad is the path. That leads to destruction. Broad means that people are wandering back and forth. Jesus Mm -hmm. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is fascinating about that is that here in the book of Proverbs, and we talked about this just in passing, I don't know, 10 weeks ago, We have this abstract idea of wisdom, this abstract idea of the way. When we get to the New Testament, we have Christ. And it's like God says, okay, all that abstraction that I was talking about, there it is right there. There it is in the flesh, the way, the truth, and the life. You want to know how to live your life? Look at that. And go that way. It's fascinating. So. The righteousness of the blameless makes a straight way for them. Who wouldn't want a straight path? Unfortunately. There's a lot of people who choose the opposite. And what is the result of the opposite? But the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness you know that almost sounds like a a uh, redundant statement the wickedness of the wicked well what else would the wicked do the wickedness of the wicked brings them down the book of proverbs instructions from a father to a son son look down the road you in your Simple ways, and we have discussed, you know, in the book of Proverbs, the simple are the ignorant, the ones that just don't know yet. You in your ignorance of the path of life may not see the future clearly, but I will show you the future clearly. Somewhere down there in the midst of that fog that you think is the future, there's a path called foolishness wickedness and there is a path called wisdom you begin to see the beginnings of that path here where you are right now you see the beginning but you young person may not see that that path leads to destruction not because of some external force destroying you But your own wickedness, your own choices that put you on that path are what lead to your destruction. Now, God may use instruments to accomplish that destruction. He may use outside forces. He may use events to bring about that destruction. But the outside forces are not the cause of, the, dis- uh, the cause of the destruction is the wickedness that drove you to make these choices in the first place. That path leads to wickedness, leads to destruction. The path of righteousness, of wisdom, leads to life. The choices that we make determine the outcome that we achieve. And that's the instruction. Go ahead. Uh not all of them, but mainly they did. Today society teaches children don't listen to your parents. step Her observation, if you didn't hear it, is that we have the belief, the impression, and I actually believe it is true, that in generations past, young people listened to the elders, their parents, other elders, and thus were able to learn this wisdom. But in our modern era, it's like society has worked very diligently to cut off that connection. And that's true. They have worked at severing the relationship between generations. You can go watch movies, TV shows out the wazoo that demonstrate that we as a society do not praise, do not uh, encourage that connection between generations. We tell the young people, you are on your own. You have to be an autonomous human being. You have to find your own path. And what it is, it's the devil saying, I'm going to sever this wisdom from the young people. I'm going to break that connection. Because I know that if I do that, some young people may find it on their own. But most won't. Some young people will, at some point in their life, return to the wisdom of the elders. They will. And that's a good thing. That's a blessing. Thank God for that. But it becomes very hard. It becomes hard. And how far have you gone down the path of foolishness before you make that revelation and return? we know we know it is possible because we know the story of the prodigal son who went way down the path of foolishness, but he then returned, but how many don't yes mhm mhm. Yeah. Well, it's not just Hitler, okay? You go back to Plato's Republic. In Plato's Republic, he sets out the ideal society, the society ruled by the philosopher kings. What's the first thing he does? He takes all the children and he removes them from society and raises them to make the ideal society. Why? Because the old people, you, me, were beyond help. We can't be cured. We've 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 already gone too far down the path. So the children are pulled out and raised for the utopian society, the utopian dream. Every society that has attempted to form some utopia has had to, to plan on doing that type thing. Yes, Paul. God, I think the uh, communications revelation that we've seen in the last ten or fifteen years, computers. Hmm? I don't know. I read a comment years ago, and the guy, uh, the guy commented that in our society today, we have young people who look down on old people because they don't know how to use computers as well. They don't know how to use a, they don't know how to use a word processor, and we have young people who can use word processors, but they have nothing useful to write with it because <laughs> they have no wisdom so we have the wisdom, and it can't be communicated electronically, so therefore it's not communicated. We have young people who, anyway. <coughs> Go ahead, Jerry. Well, where I, where I am often, every week, I uh, have <laughs> a four time loser that is going to a seminary. hmm. Uh-huh. to 30 to 60 people and when he says that I see the eyes opening. Mm-hmm. your best thinking gotcha. in that situation yeah. now try something else <laughs> there is a way that seems right to man but the in thereof is destruction go ahead I do know people my age and even older huh. Right. I read a book uh, a couple months ago The Death of the Grown-Up and the observation of the book was <coughs> not that there's not always been conflict between generations. There's always been conflict. You know, the young people say I want to do this, the old people say no. But in past generations the old people went won. But somewhere in the 60s, the Elderly people stopped having their side of the fight. They gave up. Oh, you want to do this? Well, maybe you do know best. So it wasn't that the kids are different because they put up a, they have a difference of opinion. It's that the adults surrendered. I mean, I tell the, the I've told the story in here before. You know, if, if I got in trouble at school, and by the way, I, Never got in trouble at school. (laughs) If I got in trouble at school, it never would have occurred to me in a million years that my parents would have taken my side over the teachers. (laughs) Ever. The teacher was the adult. I was going to be in trouble. But today you see story after story of the parent... Deferring to the child in the battle with the authorities. We do have a tendency to surrender. Why? Because, you know, they may argue, they, the media, whatever, that they are being countercultural. Trust me, take the book of Proverbs. Read it, study it, and apply it to your life, and you will be the most countercultural individual in this country. Hmm. Observation. your word? We walk the straight and narrow. Where does that word come from? The Bible from this passage. It used to be viewed as a good thing to say that somebody walked the straight and narrow. Now we have turned it into an a. a A comment of derision that, oh, you're just doing what people, yeah, out of touch. (sighs) The righteousness of the blameless make a straight way for them, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. There will be no one who goes to hell who can rightfully say it's not my fault now they will say that by the way <laughs> trust me they will say it but i don't care if you believe in predestination or you don't believe in predestination or what you believe people go to hell because of the choices they have made jesus says i have not to come to condemn the world the world is condemned already because of their actions. The wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. Continuing the same theme of the protection that we get by following the path of righteousness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. I like that phrase, evil desires once again one of the characteristics of the society in which we live is that we take our desires and we elevate them to some godlike stature if i desire something then i have a right to fulfill that desire and if i don't fulfill that desire if i repress that desire then i am going to leave i'm going to go down the path to all kinds of psychological problems i am going to be surrounded by <gasps> problems we don't tell people to suppress their desires We tell people to follow the desires of your heart, whatever they are. And what we neglect to remember is that desires, like emotions, like thoughts, like everything else, can be good or they can be bad. They can be righteous or they can be evil. You can have good thoughts, you can have evil thoughts. You can have good emotions, you can have evil emotions. You can have good desires, or you can have wicked desires. We as believers are to train our thoughts to think things that are good. We are to train our emotions to respond correctly, that is, as Christ would respond In given situations. All of this discussion in the book of Proverbs. About learning to love. To desire wisdom. That doesn't happen naturally. To fallen sinful human beings. That is a life that has been taught. To desire certain things. Desires can be wicked. And wicked desires lead to destruction the righteousness of the upright delivers them but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires i don't know if you have ever personally known somebody who was trapped by an evil desire it's like they are looking for something they have a lust for something and that lust becomes all consuming it almost becomes irrational. It oftentimes does become irrational. I mean, you have the picture of Ahab uh, going after the whale in Moby Dick. This all-consuming desire to get something else. Whatever it is. And at some point we become trapped in that desire. Notice the connection. Our desires lead us, trap us, guide us. I don't know what word you want to use that is too negative. That's why we need to train our desires to desire the things of God because if you're going to be trapped... Wouldn't you rather be trapped in the things of God? It's kind of like Romans chapter 6 where we talk about being a slave to sin versus being a slave to righteousness. You're going to be driven by something. Wouldn't you rather that something be righteousness rather than wickedness? But we... I want to be an autonomous human being making my own path in life. Well, good. Go do that. After you've trained your mind, your will, and emotions to follow the things of God, then go for it. But just because you feel it doesn't make it right. Just because you desire it doesn't make it right. And when we desire wicked things, we will be trapped. That's why the author of the book of of Proverbs, Solomon telling about his son, telling instructions to his son, has three chapters in there about the wayward woman, the adulterous woman, because he knows that for a young man, that is a huge, driving, motivating force in a young man's life. And he has to tell the son, watch out for that path. Rather, delight in the wife of your youth. And as we're going to see when we finish the book of Proverbs, Solomon neglected that wisdom. Solomon went chasing after the other women and it destroyed him and ultimately destroyed the kingdom of Israel by splitting it in two. Trapped by their desires. Do we know people that are trapped? And I think the answer is yes. The righteousness of the upright delivers them. What does the idea of deliverance mean? Saved, huh? To be taken out of the situation. Escape from, our own desires. Escape from our own desires. That's good. I like that. But notice, we as 21st century Americans, American Christians, who are used to a life of ease, begin to think that if God were perfect and God was all-powerful and all, God was good, he would never put me into a situation where I had to be delivered. I mean, doesn't that make sense? Why save me from a horrible situation? Why not just not let me get into that situation in the first place? Wouldn't life be so much easier? But God's not interested in your life being easy. God's interested in you being holy. God is interested in... In you being more like Christ. And what God knows and what we neglect to learn is that if God gave you all the desires of your heart, if God gave you everything you could possibly ever want, you would not learn to be more like Christ. You would not learn to be dependent upon the Father as Christ was dependent upon the Father. I can do nothing apart from the direction of the Father. Not the, first couple of the first couple is a perfect example. We see this throughout the scripture of God delivering people from horrible situations. Somewhere this week I was looking at pictures and saw some guy's rendering of Daniel in the lion's den. It was a beautiful picture. I forgot who painted it you know, beautiful lions, and they're all kind of growling around there. And there is Daniel just standing there very serenely. We think if God really loved us, he would never put us in the lion's den in the first place. God thinks if I don't put you in the lion's den, you will never learn to trust me. God's going to win this fight, by the way. The storms will come, the foundation built on the rock will stand, the foundation built on sand won't, and we pick ourselves up and we go back to the foundation that God has given us. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. When a wicked man dies, his hope perishes. All he expected from his power comes to nothing. What does the wicked man hope for? Hmm? Riches, that could be one. Power, the fulfillment of all his lust and desires, the fulfillment of his desire to be autonomous, the fulfillment of his desire to be his own person so that no one can tell me under any circumstances what I have to do. Go ahead. A I like that. <laughs> Did y'all hear that? He who dies with the most stuff still dies. There's an old Italian proverb, what is it? At the end of the game, both the pawn and the king go back in the box. When the wicked man dies, his hope his hope perishes. It is interesting, this passage, all these other Proverbs, they have the righteousness and the wicked. You know, there's a flip side to each one of them. A comparison between the wicked and the righteous. Wicked, righteous, wicked. This one doesn't have a comparison. Because the implication is obvious. When the righteous perish, their hope is fulfilled. Their desire to be with God is fulfilled. It is everything they ever dreamed of, but more so. I love the, the, the statement that says, "When a man of God dies, nothing of God dies." <laughs> When the man of God dies, nothing of God dies. When a wicked man dies, his hopes perish. All he expected from his power. Now once again, let's notice the implication. The wicked person does have power. The wicked person, he does have influence. Let's not be naive. Solomon writing this to his son... We today, we're not living in some Pollyanna world where all the good people have the power and all the bad people are groveling in the dirt. No, we don't see that at all. There are lots of wicked people who are doing quite well, thank you. They seem to be getting along. They seem to be getting what they want. The psalmist says, I looked at that and I was confused. Until I entered the house of the Lord and I realized the destiny that belongs to those people. All he expected from his power comes to nothing. He had expectations of immortality, but God will not be mocked. You can't laugh in the face of God and expect to win. The righteous man is rescued from trouble and it comes on the wicked instead. It is interesting, the implication here is almost that it's the same punishment. It's like it's directed toward the righteous but they are protected. And instead it falls on the wicked who are plotting the problem in the first place. The righteous man is rescued from trouble. What form does that rescue take? Joy. joy. What did you say? Counseling. counseling? No, not counseling, but counseling. Oh, okay. So. Joy, peace. Joy, peace. Sometimes, sometimes that rescuing is physical and in the here and now. We see Daniel, as I mentioned a while ago, rescued from the lions. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rescued from the fiery furnace. We see these stories. We see them today of people being rescued from horrible situations. Sometimes In God's providence, that's what the rescuing looks like. Sometimes the rescue is the joy and peace that God gives you in the midst of the troubles. It's like the observation made a while ago about Elizabeth Elliot when her husband was murdered on the mission field. How did she survive? By reflection on the works of God as seen in Old hymns. That gives the joy, the peace, the rescuing. Sometimes the rescuing is God taking you home to be with him. I say this repeatedly in this class, and I say it repeatedly under the hopes that if I say it long enough, I will truly believe it. I don't know about you all. Death is not the end of the story. Death does not mean you lost in any form or fashion. It is the great rescue. As I have said before, when Stephen is stoned to death for sharing the gospel, it does not mean that Stephen was less righteous than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or Daniel. It just means that God had another plan. I, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is the scene where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought before the king and said, will you, the king says, will you bow down? And they said, no. And it says, one of the young men says, our God can save us, but if not, but if not, Be it known, we're not going to bow down to you. He can save us in this life. He can save us in the next life. But if not, in this life, it will be in the next life. He will save us and he can save us from the fiery furnace. Might, might not. I don't know. At that point, to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm not sure I'd say it was irrelevant, but it was close to it. They were going to be rescued one way or the other. The promise that we have in Scripture is that the righteous man and woman is rescued from trouble. Some of us are approaching the age of life where death may not be that horrible of a thought because we have experienced the difficulties in life we have experienced those things and we think maybe it's time to be rescued we don't get to choose that time by the way don't get any bad ideas we don't get to choose that time but Paul gets to the point where he says to live to die I don't care in fact dying is probably better but God has, still has something to do, so I'll do it. That's what God has in mind for us. The righteous man is rescued from trouble, and it comes on the wicked instead. The trouble that was aimed at the righteous is redirected toward the wicked. Do you remember Haman? What did Haman want to do? He wanted to kill all the Jews. In particular, he wanted to kill who? Mordecai. Oh, he wanted to kill him. So he built this huge gallows in the yard to hang Mordecai. It says it was really tall. Now, why it has to be tall, I don't know. You know, about eight inches taller than the person I think would be adequate. But he wanted it to be really tall. Who got hung on those gallows? Haman and all his sons. sons. Seventy-five feet? feet. Yeah, it's like, why? (laughs) Just to show it. He had intended trouble, and the trouble came on him instead. Yeah. Bad things happen to bad people. Who plot bad things against good people. Go figure that out. What is the end result of all this? It is always. Always, 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 always. Better. To follow after God. And to do things God's way. In this life. And in the life to come. It does not mean that your life will be a bed of roses. We are all. Too smart to believe that. It does not mean that life will be a bed of roses. Life will be filled with trouble because God wants us to be dependent upon him. He wants us to be more like Christ. But the promise is that he will make our path straight. He will deliver us and he will rescue us from the troubles that can take many forms and we will trust God to determine that form in a particular situation. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessings that you have given us. I pray, Lord, that we would follow the righteous path. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.